is a trip to the Citrus Bowl on the line when Tennessee plays Missouri on Saturday in Columbia. And if it is, does anyone really care? Uh, or will Tennessee fans be fine with uh, just about any Florida bowl game that they wind up in? Welcome into the Volunteer State. I'm Blake Topmeyer alongside the Knoxville News Sentinels, Adam Sparks and John Adams. Big game ahead this weekend for the Vols against Mizzou, a ranked matchup, a game that will probably de- probably determine second place in the SEC East, although uh, the East champion is still not decided. Georgia has not sealed that. Before we look ahead, though, guys, uh, I want to go backward and not break down the nuts and bolts of the UConn game because it was the blowout that we expected it to be. But the narrative that I think a lot of fans were interested in was what would Nico do? Hadn't seen much of, of the freshman quarterback this season. We thought we would see him in this one. Saw him a couple drives. Uh, had a touchdown drive. I think some fans had hoped that they'd see more of him. And yet, given the sample size that we got, what did you guys think? I was pretty impressed. I mean, I, I can take this in two different directions, Nico in the present and Nico in the future. Uh, Nico in the present, I, I wasn't sure if he would be a good enough backup to win games. If if Joe Milton were to get injured um, in these games left over, would Nico be up to the task? of coming in and being a, a good backup, similar to how Joe Milton was for Hendon Hooker last year. I, I think he is. And I, based on this game, uh, he, you know, he early in the year, if you look at from spring to fall practice, you saw a little bit of a step development um, from fall practice to the times that we saw him play a little bit early in the year. He had maybe a little bit of a step, but I, I think this was the most sizable step that I've seen Um for Nico in each stage that we've seen him in since he got onto campus. Um, So in, in the present, I saw what he did against UConn and said, okay, yeah, if Tennessee's in a close game um, and Nico comes in, he can run the offense and they can, they can function with him back there. It wouldn't be an enormous drop off between Milton to Nico in the future. It's not like that. I thought Nico is a bust. I thought Nico would, probably develop into a really good sec quarterback but i wasn't sure if that would if he could be anywhere close to that next season after seeing the uconn game i, th- I think he probably can be uh, again the steps that he took uh, it, throughout this process these different stages i thought he made the biggest strides between his last time we saw him play like a month or so ago until now he moved around in the pocket well his his poise his instincts were good um, early in in fall camp practices that we saw, he would overthrow a lot of guys. Um, he, he overthrew one this time as D. Williams is somewhat uh, understandable. Um, but he he was very accurate. He was poised. I thought his timing was good. If you look at the touchdown, he threw to McAllen Castles, faked a quarterback draw, stepped back through it. Um, we can see his arm strength. We can see him run. He had a twenty five yard run. I, I just saw all the talent that we knew he had starting to starting to, to show itself on a college football level. So I think based on his trajectory, I think he's going to be a pretty good quarterback next year. I think it's going to come sooner than later based on what I saw in the UConn game. Yeah, I was kind of the same way. Everything I'd heard about him, that pretty much was uh, uh, live at Neyland Stadium this Saturday. Uh, 
really impressed me on that 25-yard run, even though he lost his footing and uh, fell down. But the way he moved to be 6'6", when he was running, he didn't look like a 6'6 player. He's he's obviously very tall, but just the way he moved, very fluid movement. And that's one of the things that struck me. Also, the zip on his passes, a nice release. I'm not an expert on uh, throwing mechanics. Adam is a former high school quarterback. He he can break all that stuff down for you sometimes if you want. But, uh, yeah, everything I saw about him, I mean, I think the guy's going to be a terrific player. Uh, he just uh, – and, and, again, Adam mentioned the instincts. I think that a lot of quarterbacks are good runners – but a big part of that, too, is being a, knowing when and where to run. And I know we just saw a very limited sample. I'm thinking mainly about that 25-yard run, but I just think he has those football instincts. And maybe that's because I want to believe he does after all I've heard. But I was just really impressed. Yeah, and, and UConn obviously didn't put up much resistance at any stage of this game. Pretty weak opponent and it's it's still the joe show we don't want to um insinuate otherwise milton you know he was 11 of 14 254 yards good day for him good day for that ground game which still drives the bus of this offense led by jalen wright but i think this was you know to adam's point kind of about the future and, and getting a glimpse at is is nico going to be ready to hit the ground running and and to you know, be Tennessee's starter next year to Tennessee have lofty expectations, all that type of thing. This was an encouraging sign for that. Um, And yet, I guess the disappointment, maybe from a fan perspective, was they only got to see him play two drives. Do you think that was a mistake by Josh Heupel, or is that just something that, yeah, fans would like to see him more, but you got to, you know, you start with Milton, then you go to Nico, and then they went to third stringer. Gaston Moore, is that kind of a, I guess, a nothing burger, guys? Or do, or do you think, uh, you know, Hypo should have got a little more time for Nico in this one? It was 100% predictable. I had a UT fan text me before the game and asked, hey, do you think we'll see Nico from like the mid-second quarter till late fourth quarter or, or early third quarter till the end of the game? And my answer to him was, you're going to see Nico in the third quarter. And then you're going to see you're going. He's going to get two drives. This is literally what I text him. He's going to get two drives, and Gaston Moore is going to get a drive. Then Navy Schuler is going to get a drive, and that's pretty close to what it ended up being. Um, Josh Hopple has done this before. When he gets in these games where he's winning by you know 50, 60 points, he only gets a couple of these a year. A couple of them, only one of them this year. Um, he wants to let Gaston Moore, who he has a, an affinity for, who works hard, who is served as their backup at times, even though he's a walk-on. He wants to get him a little bit of time, and Navy Shuler is a legacy. I mean, if at the game that last drive when Navy Shuler was in, they showed Heath Shuler on the sideline. They showed him up on the Jumbotron, and everybody you know, applauded that. Hey, Heath is watching his, his son play, and he's wearing number 21 and running the ball, you know, like Heath used to run the ball in, in a similar way. And, and everybody liked that. He wanted those guys to play, and if they didn't play in this game, they were not going to get snaps. Navy Shuler would not get a snap all season, and that was important to him. The other side of that, too, is 
Um, Nico is still their backup. Um, now, while we, we want to see him more now, and I, I wanted to see him just for more of Nico, but uh, need him uh, against Missouri, Georgia, bowl game, and he's he's out because he, he was injured in the fourth quarter against UConn. It, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So we saw enough of him that we saw what we're getting, and uh, and Josh Hopple, one of the other guys to play, is it, is it completely predictable. Yeah, I thought – I don't see why anybody would complain too much about that. I think the most important thing was for Nico to come in the game and show, as Adam said, he can run the offense, that the – that you're not going to fall off the cliff with your backup quarterback when he comes into the games. And think about through all the years, I mean, you see guys come in, a backup comes in for the starter, and he just looks ill-equipped. He looks as though he doesn't belong. And to me, that was the main takeaway. Nico came in the game, and he looked as though he, he belonged. I know it was just against Connecticut, but I think if he'd have come in the game against Florida – or, or even Alabama, I don't think he would have been overwhelmed by the situation just based on how he handled things. He's, he looked ready for all this, and I think fans saw that. So once they saw that, it was, okay, we feel good about this guy. He's certainly not a bust. He might be really, really good, and he might be really, really good right away next year. So I think that appeased the fan base, what little we saw of him. And – I think a lot of fans will look at that and look at Josh Heupel and say, yeah, you know, he really cares about his players. I think that matters to fans when a coach shows he cares about his, his players. Uh, my wife was impressed when Josh Heupel went out and looked at one of the lay down offensive linemen, extra an extra point showing that, uh, yeah, he cares <laughs> about his guys that are hurt. He, even though they're faking an injury, uh, but that that matters to people. They want to think their coach is a caring guy and cares about his guys. So, yeah, I think that I think it worked out well. I had one of our very very valuable Knox News readers uh, subscribers messaged me. I get a few of these, but especially this guy said, I- "I've never heard the theory that Tennessee is faking injuries on extra point kicks. When did this start? I've never heard this before." And I said, well, you must watch the game on TV. So because they're during a break, you don't see that. He said, no, no, I'm at every game. I'm a season ticket holder. And I asked him, I said, have you not noticed that Jackson Lampley has been injured every single game for 22 games in a row? (laughs) And yet he is on the extra point kick five minutes later. You hadn't noticed that. And he said, well, now that you say it, he is down a lot. I do like how they diversified that a little bit uh, this past game. Uh, or I think Dane Davis may have Dane Davis has been quote unquote hurt on those before too. But uh, this last game, uh, Vison Lang I think was injured. Addison Nichols was injured. Um, you know Jackson Lampley, the veteran of those fake injuries, had to be sitting on the sideline thinking that that's my guy's next generation. <laughs> let's 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 train him up. I, I hope he puts that on his resume. Fake injury expert. That's his that's his wheelhouse there. Specializes in fake fake sprained ankle. Guys, one more thing on the on the quarterbacks. We spent so many episodes this season uh, talking about, like, you know, is Joe still the guy? Is there any chance Nico could replace him? Can we all agree now that with three games and a bowl game left over, that that's sort of done? Joe Joe's played pretty well lately. We we I think it's I think it's the best case scenario. Joe Milton is playing well when Nico comes out and also plays well. You sort of get the best of both worlds. That. 
any question of Nico being the starter at some point that that's done. Correct. I, th- I think for the regular season, I would agree the bowl game. It depends what Joe wants to do. I suppose I, I don't, you know, John and I were talking about this off air earlier. Would he, would he opt out? I don't, I don't know. You never, sometimes guys that play in bowl games surprise me these days. And sometimes guys that opt out surprise me. I think you could make it. It depends on how you look at bowl games. Like, do you look at bowl games as a celebration of the season that was, if that's the case, then I think you want Milton out there. If you look at a bowl game as setting the stage for the following season, which is kind of what the orange bowl was last year, Milton took the reins for an injured hidden hooker, Squirrel White and company were out there. Then, I mean, Heupel's not going to do it. If if Milton wants to play in the bowl, Heupel's abso- absolutely going to start him, right? I mean, yeah. this is more a hypothetical scenario. What would be best for the program? I don't know if Milton's heading off to the NFL. Would it be the worst thing in the world if, if he opts out, gets ready for the draft, and, and Nico starts the bowl game? I think you could make that case that that would be maybe – maybe best for the program, but Heupel is not going to do that as long as, as Milton wants to play in the bowl. Well, the thing about it, 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 Joe Milton has played his best ball in the last three games. The first half of against Alabama, he was outstanding. Second half, he was just okay, but he didn't do anything awful. Uh, then against Kentucky, I thought it was most, his most complete game. And he played well against UConn. Again, he's, he's become very accurate, consistently accurate. So that's all you could ask of him. However, I do think, based on the way Nico played, if Joe Milton hadn't played, if Nico's showing those kind of played well, I'm sorry, if Nico had showed shows those skills in practice, and and Joe Milton had struggled, maybe there could have been a quarterback change. And and I'm speaking hypothetically, of course, but it wouldn't they wouldn't have hesitated to make the move to me because they didn't think Nico could handle it. From what I saw in Nico, I know in a very small sample size, I just saw great potential in him. So if I had, if you had to start him in a game or, or play him in a game, I wouldn't have been afraid to do so. I wouldn't have been afraid to give him a chance if the other guy wasn't, wasn't playing effectively. But, but to your point, Adam, yeah. I mean, the way Joe's played, lately it's it's the joe show and uh 2024 is is the nico show and that's sort of what we were saying at the beginning of the season i think john and i had our uh had our moments in the middle of the season where we were beginning to wonder but then uh at the right time milton and i answered that in in those performances that john was talking about against alabama kentucky and then now yukon for whatever that's worth but the kentucky game to me that was the one that's like Okay, this is this is Joe's thing to the finish line here. That that was such an important pivotal moment in the season. You lose to Kentucky, we look at this season differently. And he had his best performance, probably of his career, you know, for a full game. Yeah, he was great in the first half against Alabama, but wire to wire, he was what they needed against Kentucky, gave them the result they needed, and I think that kind of put things to bed. Yeah, and Joe can certainly add to that if he plays well against Missouri, and and for sure if he plays well and they have a chance of of upsetting Georgia. I, I do like the you mentioned twenty twenty four. I do like this uh, like small celebrity status that Nico has within the Tennessee team um, today. McAllen Castles, he was the tight end that caught Nico's touchdown pass. He was telling everybody that he the, the receiving gloves that he caught that first touchdown from Nico with. 
he had Nico autograph them. And his comment was, he said, one day when Nico's career is over, maybe I can have these hanging up on my wall at my house. <laughs> so sort of it sounds like maybe he's going to have it on eBay or something. If Nico <laughs> ends up being Peyton Manning, he'll say, I have the, the first touchdown he ever threw. We're Who, whose career lasts here. longer, Adam, uh, Nico's or uh, Colin Castles? <laughs> that's, that's a good question. <laughs> uh, well, uh, Castles is already thinking through, I think, maybe retirement, just in case Nico's <laughs> career goes, goes a long ways. Yeah. I think that's a shrewd move on his party. He, he might be majoring in finance. Yeah, I'd ha- I'd have uh, I'd have Nico signing jerseys too. Have 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 Milton sign a ball, you know, just everybody, everybody on the team, everybody come through and sign something for me and put it in a storage bin somewhere. Jalen Wright, here's some cleats, sign them just in case you're a Pro Bowler one day. John was bragging to me before we started recording, Adam, that he's got a a signed ball from the St. Louis Cardinals 1964 World Series team. So John uh, John's one step ahead of us. There, he was getting those those autographs many moons ago. Good, and good. I don't shot. even know why somebody gave me that ball because I wasn't a Cardinals fan. Yeah. But I'll take it now, now. Probably. I'm, yeah. I'm not either, but I'll take it off your hands if need be. Let's uh, let's change gears, guys, to Missouri because this is um, a big moment for for Tennessee. Um, the game against Georgia the following week will be big. Regardless, at Neyland Stadium with a chance to kind of wreck Georgia's season. And depending on what would happen this week between Georgia and Ole Miss, and Ole Miss possibly a chance for Tennessee to, to steal the East. But, you know, none of that comes into play so much depending on what happens this weekend. Like, yeah, Tennessee could still play spoiler against Georgia, but that game takes on a different life if Tennessee beats Missouri uh, this weekend. And, and this game will also, I think, det- help determine the course of Tennessee's bowl direction. So Adam, I know you've taught or you've written a lot this year about different bowl possibilities for Tennessee kind of looked into the crystal ball, tried to project things forward. I guess, as I look through this, it's likely that either Georgia or Alabama goes to college football playoff. The one that doesn't will almost certainly head to a new year's six bowl. If Ole Miss finishes 10 and two, they could also wind up in a new year's six bowl and then now LSU has another loss. They're six and three. They're sort of trailing the pack. So to me, um, as I very unscientifically do this, it's possible that the Citrus Bowl could be on the line for the winner of Tennessee and Missouri. Adam, I'm curious, A, whether you agree with that assessment, that the, that the winner of this game moves into the driver's seat of the Citrus Bowl in Orlando, and B, do you think the fan base would be more excited about the Citrus Bowl as compared to the Realia Quest Bowl in Tampa or the Gator Bowl in Jacksonville, or would their level of, of excitement not really change much just as long as it's a Florida Bowl game? So let me lay out where Tennessee could go based on what happens first. Um, now, de- Listeners, don't hold me to this 100% because, as Blake alluded to there, there's a lot of factors with other teams um, that that could affect this with what happens with the playoff and the SEC championship. There's a lot of factors that could, that could affect this. But generally speaking, if Tennessee goes eight and four, I think they're probably Gator Bowl. This this is how I'm making my travel plans now. I've got family calling and saying, "Hey, when are you going to be here for Christmas? What's what's the bowl situation?" So my best behind the scenes guess is this: eight and four, 
probably Gator Bowl. Nine and three record, probably ReliQuest or Citrus Bowl. Uh, Ten and two record, Citrus Bowl or a New Year's Six. That's just generally the range that I think we're probably looking at. So the difference between eight and four and nine and three, potentially Gator or ReliQuest slash Citrus Bowl, is, is, is the difference in those is, is beating Missouri. Um, I don't think you can count on upsetting number one Georgia at Neyland. It could happen. Um, but if you beat Missouri, you're then looking at at a nine and three or ten and two. And nine and three could potentially get get you in the Citrus Bowl. But like you mentioned it there, it it sort of depends a lot on Ole Miss. Does Ole Miss bump up to a New Year's Six Bowl or do they drop down to the Citrus uh, or to, to the Citrus Bowl? So it depends on how many get in. You know, you could have some scenarios where the SEC does not get a team in the uh, in the playoff. Then you'd have, you know, Georgia and Alabama, let's say, in the New Year's Six. That would bump Ole Miss down to the Citrus Bowl, and so Tennessee would bump down to the ReliQuest or Gator or whatever. But, again, it, it, it depends so, so much on whether or not they beat Missouri. This is a toss-up game, obviously, for both teams. Missouri still has uh, thoughts that they could have one of their better years in a long time, and Citrus Bowl for them would certainly be that. Um, and so nine and three is on the table for Tennessee, and they can do it by by winning on the road. Does that matter to Tennessee fans? I don't think that. I think there's a division uh, in Tennessee fans and SEC fans generally between Florida bowls and other bowls, and then Florida bowls and New Year's Six bowls. Um, Florida Bowls means you had a pretty good year. Um, and to get there, you've got to finish at least eight and four, but certainly nine and three would get you to, to any of those. So in that way, I think Tennessee fans see a difference because it, it points to the record that got you there. Now, the difference between going to Jacksonville or Tampa or Orlando, I think that's really just depends on individual fans. If for people that don't understand, Citrus obviously is the best of those three because that's the best team that didn't the best team in the SEC that didn't go to the SEC that didn't go to the CFP or a New Year's Six Bowl. Below that there's supposed to be like five or six bowls that are all even, but they're really not even. The Rely Quest in Tampa that used to be the Outback Bowl is seen as the best of those. It's a New Year's uh, New Year's Day Bowl. The Gator because it's still in Florida is seen as the next best and then you get some some arguments after that of it's the Duke's Mayo Bowl or the Music City Bowl or, or or whatever. But definitely the Florida Bowls are at the top, and Tennessee's in line to go to one of those. Winning this week would guarantee that. I just hate the way all these bowls keep changing their names according to their sponsor. I remember the Car Quest Bowl, and now we have the Rely Quest Bowl. And I think where was the car? I think the Car Quest Bowl might have been another bowl in in Miami Fort Lauderdale area. Wasn't it? Where where was the Poulan Weed Eater Bowl? Do you remember that one? <laughs> that was that was in Shreveport. Uh, I, but... I saw. I, I saw. I'm sorry. I saw today a projection that put Notre Dame into the Pop Tarts Bowl, and I thought the <laughs> the prestige of Notre Dame mixed with the Pop Tart Bowl. That's uh, a. <laughs> but I love it's not the Toastums Bowl. Yeah. yeah, but do you really want to watch, see your coach have mayonnaise poured over his head? And the Dukes may, I mean, come on. I, I was thinking about that at first. I thought, well, Tennessee, it's a Florida bowl. Like it doesn't really matter that much. But then I thought Tennessee fans won't want to go to Jacksonville, nothing against the city itself, but they associate going to a bowl game in Jacksonville with first Butch Jones, 
then when it was a tax slayer ball, and then with uh, Jeremy Pruitt. In fact, you could argue that Jeremy Pruitt's finest hour might have been in the uh, Jack, the Gator Bowl when Tennessee made that epic comeback against Indiana. So That, that game didn't happen, though. It did not happen. I looked in the media guide. There's no record of it. It did not occur. <laughs> Scrub from the annals of history. Yes. You know, you, you spelled out the tiers of bowl games, Adam, and, and uh, you know, we we know this because we have to, right? But I just think like John Q SEC fan, if you were to give them a quiz and say, which of these three bowls is the best bowl, the Citrus Bowl, the Gator Bowl, or I'm going to say now that it's called the Realia Quest Bowl, a fan would not think it's the best, but let's let's say back when it was called the Outback, right? And if you would ask a fan, which is the best of these bowl games, a Citrus Bowl, a Ga- the Gator Bowl, or the Outback Bowl? And I'm not trying to um, you know, disparage fans by saying this. I'm just saying, like, I don't think people really care about this that much. Like, you know, it, it, a Florida Bowl is a Florida Bowl. If it's not the New Year's Six, they're kind of all the, all the same in prestige. And so it, we know that the Citrus Bowl is, like, one small step above the Realia Quest and the Gator. But I'm not sure John Q. Fan knows that or cares about that. I think it comes down to, like, do you like Disney? If so, maybe you prefer the Citrus Bowl if you're going to go uh, attend the game. Do you like the beach? Then maybe you prefer the Gator Bowl or the Reality Quest Bowl in, in Jacksonville or Tampa. Well, I mean, case in point, we can't decide what the name of the bowl is. You're saying Realia Quest, and I'm saying Relia Quest, and I don't even know which is correct. <laughs> I don't know which is right. <laughs> so, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, and that, by the way, if you did list those threes to to John Q. Fan out there, they would say the Relia Quest or whatever bowl is last because they've never heard of it. Yeah, and like you said, if you so that that's that's so much how this stuff changes. Um, yeah, it depends on when, where it is, when it is. I think most people just a personal preference. Um, the citrus is a little different. It depends on maybe your age. The citrus bowl at one point, if you're looking back at the 90s and Steve Spurrier used to make the, the joke, right? You can't spell citrus without UT. So that was a knock on the citrus going to the citrus bowl. But I think I think Tennessee fans to this point see the citrus. They recognize mostly that the citrus bowl is above those others because it does have an old name. It's a name that's been around for quite a while. And I, and I think that that does matter. I mean, you know, the with the Capital One Bowl or whatever, how we used to call it, I would have to do a double take. Wait, is that a really good bowl or not? You say the Peach Bowl. Oh, well, the Peach Bowl. Sure, that's been around forever. It's 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 the name of a fruit, which means it's a really good bowl. Um, so I think I think I think people really look at it that way. I mean, if Tennessee went 10 and 2 and got into the mix for um a New Year's Six Bowl, they would go to probably the peach or the cotton. Everybody would know those are better bowls because they've heard of them their entire lives. Nobody's heard of the Rely Quest Bowl. Uh, the Gator Bowl, they kind of have. So, so you know, it's it's sort of a toss-up, I guess. You know, the Gator Bowl, to me, is, I mean, you go back, you used to have the big four bowls, roll, rose, cotton, orange, and sugar, and the Gator Bowl was just right below that. I mean, the Gator Bowl's been around forever. I really think it hurt the Gator Bowl when it had different names, when it became the Tax Slayer Bowl. I, I think it because the Gator Bowl itself is is an established longtime bowl, but I, I think it hurt that. Is the Gator Bowl, is that on New Year's Day this year? Uh, no, it, it's the Gator Bowl is on the 29th. The Citrus and Rely Quest are both on uh, New Year's Day. 
So that there's a so there's a difference right there. They're actually played about the same time. One of them's at one o'clock and one of them is at noon on New Year's, which by the way, that's what I'm rooting for because get away from Christmas, but then a, a, a lunchtime game that's thinking of just my deadline and everything else and travel. <laughs> and that's uh that's what most people do. They root for whatever works best for them. So it's all about you, Adam. That's absolutely. You. I think every player, every fan, everybody will look at it and say, well, which one is the date that I want and the time that I want? The 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 worst bowl that I ever covered was the GoDaddy.com bowl that mm. was in Mobile on like January 8th, I think. Ooh. <laughs> it was like a week after the best bowls when everybody else thought it was only basketball season and I'm covering a bowl game in Mobile that nobody's ever heard of. This matchup, guys, um, we've talked about how important it is, and and, uh, and it not only did, will determine the bowl direction, I think maybe even more importantly, determines the perception of the season. One game can swing the perception of a of a season quite a bit. Nine and three versus eight and four. Uh, if we're penciling in, we're not writing it in an in ink, but we're penciling in a loss to Georgia. This could be the difference between nine and three and eight and four. Um, I think, you know, there, there is a significant change in perspective um, on that type of year. But, you know, I mean, Missouri, we may remember Tennessee just running over Missouri the last couple of years. This is a much different Missouri team. They played Georgia tough on Saturday. Their quarterback, Brady Cooks, played well most of the year. He had his worst game of the year against Georgia. That might have said something about the opponent, the situation. They got a good running back in Cody Schrader. They got a good wide receiver, Luther Burden. Their defense is decent. Um, to me, this feels like a coin flip game, and it's in Columbia. So, you know, we talked about those road narratives before Tennessee put a pin in that by winning at Lexington, but they could come storming back here on Saturday. So, you know, I guess in closing thoughts, how do you guys see this one? The sports books see it as a toss up. They got Tennessee as a one and a half point favorite. Is that sort of the way you're looking at it, kind of on a razor's edge, or what, what's your outlook? Yeah, I am. Uh, t- Tennessee two years ago hung 62 on Missouri. Last year they hung 66 on Missouri. Um, if they can get to half of one of those scores, it'll it'll be a really good day because um, Missouri is good on both sides of the ball. Uh, they're very balanced on offense. Um, you know, I, I saw some of the response from the Missouri's loss to Georgia as, uh, you know, sort of like, well, told you Missouri wasn't for real. I actually took it the opposite. I looked at that game and said, oh, whoa, yeah, Missouri's for real because they, they were toe-to-toe with Georgia for, for quite a while there. Um, you know, I, I think Tennessee's going to be okay. Off- they may be good offensively, but they'll at least be, I think, okay offensively. They can run the ball on against most teams, and I think they'll run the ball fine. We'll see if we get, like, okay Joe Milton or really good Joe Milton. Who knows? Um, but but the, the offense is going to be fine. Uh, the defense – they have to be good with the pass rush, and they have to be good with the pass rush up, up the middle of the line. They've got some guys on the edge. James Pierce has been good off the edge. Uh, Tyler Barron has made himself a lot of money in terms of the draft coming off the edge. Um, but they've got to have a rush up the middle, whether whether or not that's Omar Norman Lott or Omari Thomas or maybe that's a linebacker. They've got to get a push up the middle because Brady Cook not only is good at sitting in the pocket, and moving up in the pocket to throw the ball if he's if you've got rushers off the edge. But he's also good if rushers are coming off the edge to to step up and run the ball. He's very mobile. He's really good on his feet. 
um, you've got to get people in his face. And so they're going to have to push the middle of the line. If Tennessee can get a pass rush and make him a little uncomfortable, Tennessee secondary won't be exposed and they can win the game. If Brady Cook is comfortable in there and you don't give him a rush everywhere on the on the line, uh, then he's gonna he's gonna pick apart that secondary. Tennessee's gonna lose. I, th- I think if I had to pick one thing that determines whether or not Tennessee wins this game, it's how good its pass rush will be. Yeah, and related to that, Missouri with uh, Brady Cook it been very effective this year throwing those back shoulder pass plays to receivers and get one-on-one situation. And Brady Cook has not been hesitant to throw it in pretty tight coverage, thinking his guy, particularly when it's Luther Burden, the acclaimed wide receiver, when it's his guy one-on-one, he he does he's not afraid to make that pass in close quarters. Uh, so Tennessee's going to need to be, is going to need to cover well. And, of course, having a pass rush factors into that. Uh, one thing I, I wonder about this game from a quarterback standpoint is Brady Cook has been really consistent pretty much all year. Uh, that wasn't the case last year. And I think a lot of Missouri fans were wondering, who else can we get at quarterback? Sam Horn was a celebrated recruit. I think people's it, – it, it just didn't look like Brady Cook was perceived as the quarterback. He's got the job, job locked up. He'll be the guy – it wasn't that way. And he had a really bad fourth quarter against Georgia. And particularly one pass that he threw never should have been thrown. And Nas Stackhouse, one of those mammoth defensive linemen of Georgia's, picked it up, uh, didn't pick it up, caught it before they hit the ground and rambled down the field with it. I just wonder if that might affect Brady Cook because he's got to be, he, he can't be lacking in confidence in this game. And I think, I wonder if that could be a factor. John, I do like that observation of Brady Cook throwing back shoulder shoulder throws because against what type of defenses, what type of secondaries do you want to throw back passes? It's against corners that don't turn around to look at the ball, and it's against cautious safeties that are hanging back too far. Tennessee has very cautious safeties. They're coached to be cautious, and Tennessee's corners don't turn around and look at the ball. And so that's a bad matchup in terms of Tennessee, and that's something where – they have to look at film, know that's coming, and say we've got to play a little differently. When you were quarterbacking in high school, did you like that back shoulder throw? I, I liked any uh, throw that would keep me from being on my back. So <laughs> <laughs> once they were coming, I threw it as high and as far as I could, which was not very high and not very far. Did not get sacked. Somebody caught it. It Sometimes it was on the other team, but did not take that sack. Jeremy Pruitt, he borrowed this from Nick Saban. He said he liked drives that uh, ended in a kick, either an extra point, a field goal, or a punt. Adam, it sounds like you you liked uh, pass attempts that ended uh, with the ball in somebody's hands that wasn't yours. <laughs> you don't Perf- let the ball touch the ground was my philosophy. I did get kicked in the head a few times, usually, when they would pick it off and be running the other way and somebody would step on me. Uh, but that's, yeah. I'll, I'll, I ne- never let the ball touch the ground. Somebody's got to catch me. All right, well, happy trails to Adam. He's uh, off to Columbia this weekend. It's not an easy place to get to from Knoxville, but uh, he will have uh, all the coverage for Knox News. You can also check out John's commentary, of course, and we will be back with you next week. Thanks for listening to the Volunteer State.